You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And thank you for staying with us here on Real Presence Live. We are so grateful to be with you this morning. I'm one of your hosts, Brad Gray, joined by Janine Bitson. And it has been a great first hour. And uh, I'm really excited about our next guest. Uh, Just uh, more truth, beauty, and goodness, and sharing the Gospels. And that's absolutely. And that next guest is Matt Simmons, who is the director of evangelization and spiritual formation for the Diocese of Lincoln. Good morning to you, Matt. Hey, good morning to you, too. Thanks for being on with us this morning. It's uh, it's always yeah. good to hear a voice from Lincoln. Our, our bishop, John Folda, is from the Lincoln Diocese originally, and I have a good friend, Father Sean Kilcally, my colleague in the Family Life office there in uh, in Lincoln. So it's always good to have more Lincoln connections. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, many of our students from Shanley head down to Big Red down in uh, Lincoln, and and then they end up staying there. <laughs> so there's some special things down there. Yeah, there is. Thanks for having me. I have a special love for Bismarck and uh, Fargo Diocese both. I've done some work up there and spent some time the last handful of years. Well, excellent. So appreciate it. We look forward to bringing you back again this uh, this July, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But uh, yeah. to begin with, let's let's hear a little bit about you. Tell us uh, about your your faith journey. You know what what brought you to where you are today. Sure. So I was born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I was not born with a faith. I wasn't Catholic or Protestant or anything. Um, my parents split when I was three, divorced when I was five, and I grew up in a home that was pretty much decimated by mental illness and addiction and just bad relational dynamics. I mean, the things that are so common in our culture today. And uh, so I grew up with a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity. I wasn't rooted and grounded in a communion of love at all. And uh, so when they split, I lived with my mom for a long time and suffered quite a bit of abuse in that situation of different varieties and eventually lived with my dad. Because, like I said, my mother had mental illness. She was both bipolar and schizophrenic Mm -hmm. and couldn't handle us. Um, And so we went to live with my dad, who was very well-adjusted and uh, ordered in his life. Um, And so we went to live with him. Well, my mom eventually moved to Omaha, Nebraska, and kind of went off and on meds and things for about 25 years. But in that process, when I was about seven or eight, she became a Christian, and she a kind of a charismatic Christian. And then in, let's see, it would have been 1986, I was baptized. Um, and I got baptized at her church, and it kind of changed everything for me. I remember back then experiencing God in a palpable way. Um, but then after that, a number of things happened within a year or so with my mom and her mental illness. Um, and difficulties there, so I didn't go to church anymore. My dad was atheist, agnostic at best. Um, and so faith kind of fell out of my life. And I got into drugs and alcohol when I was about 12, and stayed with that well up into my 20s. And uh find myself here of faith um, through a 12-step program, actually. Hmm. Um, I started going when I was 15, and then it was when I was 29 that I finally kind of got it. Um, and it took from the time that time to unwind my own atheism. 
I, I, I'm very I can only angry. Im- I can only imagine that, that you must have had a perspective on Christianity that was, this is for crazy people in some ways, based on what you had experienced in your life and, and you know, your mom being the primary influence and, and the kind of the difficulties that you experienced at her. Is that, is that accurate at this point in, in life? Like this was not a, this was not a neutral position on Christianity, but one that was. No. Yeah. I would say like on one end, she was really weird. Her mental illness and the Christianity created a weird mix, but then also the churches she went to would say things like, well, if your faith's strong enough, you don't need your meds. Hmm. And so she would get off medication, and it would cause her to go through the cycle of unmedicated, on the streets, in jail, mental hospital, back medicated again. Oh, shoot. And so she went through that cycle for 25 years. So, yeah, it was definitely a convoluted view of Christianity, you know. Um, But eventually, I got to the point in my life where I was trying to change my life. I, I went from atheism to being spiritual but not religious, getting into Buddhism and different things like that. But what I noticed was I would meditate or do things, and it would just kind of take the edge off. But it never really changed my self-centeredness, mm. you know, which is really what sin is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's our, our particular brand of selfishness, you know. And that would never change, and I finally opened up to the God idea. And I um, relapsed once again. I got strung out on um, opiates, on Oxycontin, for a number of months. And I quit, and I came back, and I was at a jumping-off point in my life where I was either going to kill myself or something was going to change. And I went to a 12-step meeting, and I had everything planned out to kill myself that night, and this was my last-ditch effort. And I went to the meeting, and it drove me nuts. I didn't like it at all. And uh, I left a little early, but this guy was standing outside and was like, hey, Matt, let's go get some coffee. And I didn't really want to die. And I don't think most people who are suicidal want to die. They just want the pain to end. Right. You know? And uh, so I went to coffee with him. And he didn't know where I was at. But coming up to this meeting with him, all I could think about was using or dying. I'm talking like obsession in my mind and my heart. And he looked at me partway through the conversation, he was like, Matt, if you don't get God, you're going to die. And he had no clue what I was planning, right? And he really cornered me on how my life was unmanageable and how I was powerless to do anything about it, which was clear to me. But he was like, you need to surrender your life. And that's where I about came unhinged. Mm. I've been hearing people for years tell me to surrender my life. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, concretely, what does this mean, man? Yeah. You know? And he was like, he paused for a second, he was like, well, I had some level of moral compass, right? I think a lot of people do. And he was like, if what you want to do conflicts with what God wants you to do, just do what God wants you to do. It's as simple as that. Hmm. I was like, well, I can do that, you know? And so he had me say a prayer outside the coffee shop with him, a prayer of surrender. And so I did. And I got up from that, and I got in my car to drive to Walgreens across the street to get a pad of paper and a pen so I could continue with the step work. And as I was driving across the street, I realized I had no desire to use, no desire to die, and God was thick as pudding in my car. Hmm. It's just there. And my opiate addiction has been gone ever since. Wow. It hasn't been a non-issue. And it wasn't, I mean, it was Jesus, but... I surrendered my life to a general nameless God, 
right? And from there, I did everything I needed to do to clean up my life and set right the wrongs I had made in my life. And eventually, I started going to church with him, the Protestant mega church, and came to believe in Jesus. And then I met my now wife, who was a cradle Catholic from Omaha. Started going to Mass with her. And then we went to India. She went to Wesleyan University here and was going on a mission trip to India to work with Tibetan refugees, so I went along with her. And her priest suggested we look up the missionaries of charity in Calcutta if we could. Mm-hmm. And so we got over there, and the uh, professor let her and I split away from the group and go find the mother house. And so long story short, they let us volunteer the next day. And there were several of us in the group who went and volunteered. And I encountered Jesus over there in the poor. Mm. And the only thing I could tell you when I came back was I saw him, but it was in a dying man that I was holding. Mm. And uh, at this point in my life, like, I didn't care about anybody. Like, I was really, really selfish still. I was solely trying to get close to God for what he could do for me, not for how I could serve him. Mm. I was in my relationship for what it could do for me. I mean, I was just a very wounded person. But what I experienced there is I was holding this guy was this deep love for this man, and it was so foreign to me. And I knew it was also love for me. Hmm. And after that, I spent the next two years purging. I mean, I cried every day for about two years, and uh, I was healing and emptying. And from there, everything just kind of kicked off. I started going to school at that church, that Berean church, the Protestant church, and then I entered RCIA at the same time. Hmm because I didn't understand the theological differences. And uh, I opened a tattoo studio in the midst of all of this and uh, started evangelizing and and stuff and uh, came into the church in 2008. And then the next four years after that, I sponsored guys into the church every year wow. from my tattoo studio. <laughs> and then I went to Focus for a couple of years because I knew that God wanted more with my life than tattooing. <laughs> So I went there for a few years and then got out of there and made the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius and headed in the direction I'm at now, started an apostolate. And then eventually Bishop Conley asked me to spread unbound across our diocese, and then after that he asked me to take over this office. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> now nice. we're talking. Such a beautiful yeah. journey, and, and how many lives, that countless lives, that you've been able to bring Christ's light to through your uh, difficult times. Um, you yeah. can you can speak truth to, to those sufferings and, and just the incredible healing of God because you've been there. Absolutely. And that's the thing that he really wants people to know is, like, your suffering and your pain is not for nothing. Right. Yeah. It's not just trying to get rid of it. Like, he really wants to turn it to a wellspring of grace that others can drink from. Yeah, every every cross has a resurrection. If we Absolutely. just uh, put ourselves at the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to help us through. Yeah, yeah. Matt, uh, we're going to have to take a quick break here, but on the other side of the break, I want to talk about um, the, the ministry that you're doing there. You talk Men's ministry is important too, but you especially minister to priests. And I think that's, uh, that's something that we often overlook. And so I, I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, when we come back after this quick break.
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. You never know where Catholic Radio is going to bring people. I mean, with my friend, it was just in the privacy of his own car, I think. People dare, people dare explore faith matters of faith when there's nobody else around them, right? You don't, you don't know. And the other thing that has impressed me, being close to Catholic Radio over the years, is all the cards and letters that came in from people who weren't even Catholic, you know, that were the, the, what we call the nuns, you know, that N-O-N-E-S. They just stumbled upon it, you know. And um, it's that, that's the power of Catholic Radio. Catholic Radio encourages, Catholic Radio educates, Catholic Radio motivates, but what is it doing? Ultimately, the people that are listening have to have the courage to say to others, would you like to join me on Sunday morning? Would you like to learn more about being a Catholic? Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. As a working mother, I was thrilled to learn about the University of Mary's new online Catholic-infused graduate programs that truly work around my schedule. University of Mary knows that choosing to continue your education at this point in life can be both challenging and rewarding. That's why we've created a robust portfolio of truly affordable, truly flexible, and truly formative online programs to make choosing easy. Visit us at catholicprofessional.life. That's dot L-I-F-E. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And thank you for joining us here on Real Presence Live. We are having an awesome conversation with Matt Simmons, the Director of Evangelization and Spiritual Formation for the Diocese of Lincoln. Uh, Matt, uh, before we went to break, we had mentioned that you you do a... Um, you do a ministry with, not only with men, but with priests in particular. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, so as I started to work with people and give retreats and spiritual direction and work with pastors in particular doing parish-based retreats, what I started to see was that they're in need the same way we are. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's apostolates like the Institute for Priestly Formation, which started out of recognizing the need for priests to learn how to pray and for them to be close to God. Right There's a quote from Pope Benedict XVI where he said, The faithful expect only one thing from priests, that they be specialists in promoting the encounter between man and God. Mm. The priest is not asked to be an expert in economics, construction, or politics. He's expected to be an expert in the spiritual life. And... What I soon started to realize is this isn't always the case. Mm-hmm. There's a myriad of reasons men become priests. Um, some of them, well, in my diocese, a lot of them end up administrators or teachers. Um, but the pastoral component, this component of 
it's really essential to the priesthood of being a spiritual father and bridging that gap between God and us in a very real, personal, concrete way isn't always where they're at. And then the sins that they struggle with really aren't many different than the other men in the Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where it started to originate out of, and as I started to speak and teach, they started to come to. I mean, my own experience in the Church, like just like in the family, if the father's not in a good place, then the family's a mess. Mm-hmm. In a parish, if the priest is not connected with God deeply, then the parish can end up being a mess. And so most of the things come through him into the church. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think that's yeah, so critically a, important. It is, and especially, you know, with our crisis and with priests and, you know, there's just so many people who have been hurt by a priest in their life. And, and it's like, if they're not strong and rooted in what the Catholic faith is about, it, it can push them away. And so your ministry to priests is so important because the devil tries to get at them even more so than you or me, Um, you know, because if they can have a priest fall, uh, they can have many parishioners fall as well. Right. Absolutely. You know, they're ontologically conformed with Christ, and so whether they like it or not, or whether we like it or not, what they do will either build up the image of Christ and our communion with Him, or break it and tear it down. Right. And there is no in-between with it. It just is a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's one thing that you're pointing to, Matt, that's so important there, and that we often have a tendency to overlook, is that there's a difference between knowing the faith and allowing Jesus Christ to be alive within us and to heal our woundedness, right? Because we all come to the table with a lot of woundedness and baggage. I mean, that's not just, it's not just someone who grew up in an abusive family that has a mother with bipolar and schizophrenia and, and you know, has all sorts of um, things like that. Every one of us uh, comes to the table with, with our own hurts, uh, whether it be from something that someone else has done to us or our own sinfulness, right? And so there's a need not merely to just know the faith, but there's a need to experience the healing of Christ uh, so that that can really take deep root in us, right? And that's the same for priests as anyone. Absolutely. So with scholasticism and Thomistic theology, there was sort of a change in the understanding of the word knowledge, right? If you look at the Greek and Hebrew words for knowledge all throughout the scriptures, they denote relationship and intimacy. Knowledge is about relational knowledge, Mm -hmm. actual experiential knowledge. It's not intellectual understanding. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I can read a book about my wife a day as long as it doesn't mean I know anything about her, really, right? Right. I have to engage with her and spend time. And so one thing that's happened in the Church over the last several hundred years is that has been reduced to intellectual knowledge. And so we do a lot to teach and to catechize, but this new evangelization is really about putting knowledge right back where it belongs in the relationship. Oh, amen. So that's most of the work. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's so moving. When you, you read through the scriptures, it doesn't take you long to see the terminology that you know Adam knew his wife Eve, and that the yeah. the knowledge isn't, as you say, an mm-hmm. intellectual type of thing. It's a relationship. It's an experience of the other person, and that we we thin out this understanding of what knowledge really means, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in, in, and I think this is where John Paul II's theology of the body is such a gift to the church. Right. You know. Uh, it's a very surface-level understanding to think it's about sex. Mm-hmm. It's not. It is so much deeper than that with the anthropology of the human person 
as a relational being, and we have to build ways of ministering to people um, off of that anthropology so that people can really become who they're meant to be and reveal Christ to the world. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that is so beautiful, Matt. Well, thank you so much, because we have so many amazing priests. I mean, and, you know, it's... It, we're, we're all human beings, and human nature being what it is. I mean, you just go back to Genesis and see how fast it took us to, mm-hmm. you know, really mess things up. Right. Um, but how beautiful it is that um, we understand that our church is a place for sinners uh, to be healed, and that um, we need to be merciful, you know, uh, yeah. lights of Christ yeah. in the world. Say, Matt, um, so we we have like right around five, six minutes left here, but I want to talk a little bit about the retreat that we have coming up, the Made for Greatness men's retreat that you're going to be coming to the Fargo Diocese for uh, July 16th through the 18th. And um, I'm excited about this. This is actually something that we've been working on for about three years now. We had a, a Made for Greatness men's leadership summit back in 2018. And during that uh, summit, we had a couple presentations on uh, the relational prayer of how do we walk alongside Jesus throughout our day, not just on Sundays when we go to Mass or perhaps at bedtime when we say our prayers or the mealtime, but like how do I experience my day alongside Jesus? And then also that aspect of um, like each one of us has a certain woundedness that blocks us from receiving the mercy and the love of God and allowing Him to really radically transform us. We might struggle with certain sins that we just never seem like we gain any ground on and and that there's that we have a need for Christ to come in and bring healing in that, right? And so this has been something that we've been working on with this, putting on this retreat for, for three years. It's been mul- delayed multiple times, uh, most recently uh, back in July of last year through the pandemic. But I'm excited that we're going to have this now July 16th through the 18th. You're going to be pre- presenting on that. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what, what you see as a good for, for men that might come to this event? So... Most of us realize that women tend to be better relationally, right? And we see this in her body. She's receptive. Mm -hmm. Men are more about doing. We see that in our body as well. And I don't know about you, Brad, but my dad didn't sit around with me and emote with me and Mm -hmm. talk to me about my feelings and help me become emotionally integrated, right? right? I've worked with numerous women, and this is one of the single biggest complaints about their husbands, is that they're incapable of tracking with them on any kind of depth level. It becomes a block to intimacy and communion within their marriage. Thus, it impedes the sacramental graces from being released in the fullest possible way. Um, and it makes me think of uh, Pope Benedict once again. He said that prayer is pure receptivity to God's grace. And he said it's a way of being with God before it's a set of practices and things we do. And this way of being with him is receptive or vulnerable. It's the way a woman is naturally in her body. She's receptive. She's vulnerable. That's why she needs to be protected, right? So all of us being the bride, that means you and me too, Mm -hmm. we have to start in a place of openness, receptivity, and vulnerability. And men in our culture today were, A, like you and me, not raised to be such, B, especially if you're an aging white Christian male, you're being attacked left and right, told how evil and heinous you are. And so many other things that are happening, and what that does is it deems our ability to be vulnerable. 
And Jesus, in Revelation, says he stands at the door and knocks. And Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He'll never push his way in. We have to open the door for him. Otherwise, he'll just stand there and knock. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to healing, almost every wound that we have is an attack against our vulnerability. We have been taught by life experiences, by people in our lives, um, in our culture, that it's not safe to be vulnerable. It's not safe to be who you actually are. And this is another thing the Catechism says, is humility is the foundation of prayer. Humility is just the truth. So you have to be authentically who you are, truly who you are. The culture would say your truth. Mm -hmm. You have to bring forward to God so the truth can connect with it and change it. And it's in that connection where we're in our vulnerability, we open the door, we allow Christ in. It's simply that connection that does the healing. It's not a complex thing. And so the work of healing, particularly inner healing, is about helping the man come to know the truths that he needs to know, to remove the lies that are blocking him from being vulnerable, and to create a space with other men who have a tender strength who can enable them to enter into that mm. and receive that love from the Lord. Right. I think it got, a lot of guys probably bristle at the idea of being vulnerable and tender, right? Like, just does that mean I have to stop being a guy then and just be a woman for a while? What, what do you say to that? <laughs> I'd say uh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Most of the things that we consider masculine are tinged with toxicity. Mm. This is what the culture is picking up on. Like all the bravado and the, you know, uh, big guy and all of that is not what masculinity is. Mm. All we have to do is look at Jesus. He mm. was humble. He was quiet. Right? Yeah. He was strong. He never wavered. Like nothing deterred him. We look at Joseph. It's the year of St. Joseph. Uh, there's a book that was written by Father Boniface Hicks called Through the Heart of St. Joseph that I absolutely recommend. And one of the things that touched me in there is he talked about aggressive tenderness mm. is what Joseph had. He never said anything. And what aggressive tenderness means is he had a tenderness of heart that moved out to others. It didn't wait for them to come to him. Oh, awesome. And so this is what our wives need. This is what our kids need. This is what the world needs from them. Absolutely. I'm so excited right. that you're going to be yeah. coming to Fargo for this retreat. Yeah. And so we've just... come come to the end, but if, if you're interested in uh, signing up for the, or finding out more about the retreat, you go to FargoDiocese.org slash MFG, stands for Made for Greatness, FargoDiocese.org slash MFG. Uh, you check out things. I, I know, Matt, this is going to be an extraordinary event. I've, I've felt the opposition um, for this event for three years, and so I know that there's something really good in the works and that there's been a lot uh, trying to prevent this from coming about. So I, um, I'm really pumped for what's going to happen this July. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being with us this morning. We are going to have to take one more, uh, take another break before we move into our, our next segment. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. <laughs> 